Hello, and welcome to the ArborPod Detective Denjo series. Today's guest is Wes Coker in the case of the afflicted ash. This podcast is provided by the International Society of Arboriculture. Flashes of blue sky streaked through the lush forest canopy as I zipped through the maple beech forests of central Michigan. I had stayed in town the night after my appearance as guest speaking at the annual Silvicultural Sleuth Conference to tie up some loose ends, but I knew that the office would be swamped with calls on this glorious June morning, so I put the pedal to the metal. As I stepped through the office door, I could see the city arborist, Ashley Green, waiting at my desk. I was hoping she had stopped by to pick me up for lunch at my favorite local restaurant, Alliums, but something about the stressed look on her face made me think otherwise. I drew in a deep breath as I approached. What can I do for my favorite city arborist? I asked. Detective Dendro, there's a big problem, Ashley said. The Department of Public Works put in a new sidewalk over on Washington Street last month, and now the street trees don't look very healthy. Can you come out this afternoon and give me your opinion on the problem? Of course, Ashley. I'll meet you on Washington Street at 3 o'clock. Until then, try to stay calm. When Coded and I arrived that afternoon for a thorough inspection, the new sidewalk, Ashley mentioned, was as obvious as a purple polka-dotted python. It stood in stark contrast to the well-worn and buckled sidewalk on the other side of the street. But the new concrete work looked much more tree-friendly than most new sidewalks I have seen on my travels. The sidewalk was at least four feet, 1.2 meters, from the street trees' root flare, and the sidewalk was slightly elevated above grade, so the crews minimized root disturbance during construction. This looks like a classic case of construction damage, Dendro, Coda declared with a professional tone. Just look at how the trees are dying back from the top of the crown. You might be right, Coda. Underground utility trenching and concrete work pose a serious threat to trees, I affirmed. However, I noticed that two 15-inch, 38-centimeter, DBH pin oaks, Corcus palustris, farther down on Washington Street, look to have no visible damage or dieback from that sidewalk installation. I decided to walk across the street and take a closer look at the street trees with the old sidewalks for some comparison. Ashley pulled up alongside me. So what do you think, Dendro? She queried. Are all these trees done for? A number of the green ash trees, Fraxinus pennsylvanica, above the old buckled sidewalk, had very similar symptoms of decline, as the trees hypothesized to have been damaged by construction. Let's not jump to conclusions just yet, I replied noticing that the trees with crown dieback also had epicormic shoots emerging from the lower trunk. These water sprouts are common in stressed or damaged trees because they try to compensate for loss of photosynthetic area. But oak trees also have a tendency to sprout from the trunk, and the pin oaks at the site showed no sign of epicormic growth. Why are these ash trees across the street showing the same signs of damage as the ash trees above the new sidewalk? But the oaks appear to be fine. I wondered aloud. But just as the words left my lips, I found the clue that would crack the case wide open. The bark on the ash trees had long vertical cracks, and it bulged away from the cambium layer underneath. Up and down the trunk were eighth-inch, 0.3-centimeter, D-shaped holes in the bark. green ash trees had a big problem, but it didn't come from construction damage. The culprit was emerald ash borer, Agrilus planipennis, 
Come and look at these holes in the bark, I shouted to Ashley and Coded. It looks like Emerald Ashbor, EAB, has finally made it our way. Adult beetles emerge from the bark in late May through June, leaving these D-shaped holes, and lay their eggs about two weeks later. When the larvae emerge, they eat through the bark and into the cambium layer, feeding off the nutrient-rich vascular system of the tree. This causes severe stress to the tree, and the crown starts to die back as water and nutrients are unable to flow through the damaged cambium. That, in turn, can cause epicormic shoots to emerge to compensate for the lost leaf area. I peeled back a piece of cracked bark to expose the serpentine larval galleries, confirming my EAB diagnosis. The small green bark beetle is native to eastern Asia, but was found in Michigan and Ontario, Canada in 2002. As a result, the borer has no natural predators in North America and has spread across the Midwest U.S. and into the Northeast since its discovery almost a decade ago. Oh no! All of our ash trees are goners! pronounced Codet. Actually, Codet, I began, there is a lot of recent research that shows the treatment of affected ashes can be both effective and economically viable. Public attitudes, available resources, insect pressure, and the number of potential host trees all factor into the decision for the most appropriate response to EAB. But ash trees make up almost 30% of our street trees, Ashley said desperately. What can I do about the trees that are already affected? The most effective treatments for EAB infestation are systemic insecticides, I explained, meaning that they need to be transported within the tree. It is best to treat ashes when EAB has been confirmed within 15 miles, 24 kilometers, but before there is any damage to the tree. As a general rule, it is best to treat affected trees while more than 70% of the crown is still healthy, but by the time damage is obvious, it can be too late to rehabilitate the tree. Some insecticides are applied by root drench, while others can be injected directly into the trunk or applied as a lower trunk spray. Ashley looked a bit relieved, but still had more questions. Which application method is the best? Where, where can I find more information about combating EAB? There is no one insecticide that will work under all conditions, so it's important to find out what has been effective in the region. Soil treatments are best applied in the spring, but autumn soil applications can also be effective, depending on the chemical. I would recommend going online, www.emeraldashborer.info, to stay current on the latest science and research. Codet looked to be deep in thought as I gave the diagnosis to Ashley. It's too bad, especially for cities that planted so many ash trees after Dutch elm disease caused them to remove most of their elm population. You hit the nail on the head, Codet. I agreed. Pests and diseases that target specific genera or species pose a big threat to cities and towns that rely on planting only a few species of street trees. Because we cannot predict what pests and diseases we may encounter in the future, it would be wise to increase diversity of our street and park trees, so if another species, specific pest, or disease comes around, there won't be as big of an impact on our urban forest. Ashley was well aware of the lack of species diversity in town, and since she took over as city arborist almost a decade ago, she quickly began planting a wider variety of genera around the city. Ashley assured me that she and her team would remain vigilant about fighting back against EAB. But how could we be expected to conduct such a battle on an empty stomach? Once the case of the afflicted ash drew to a close, Coded and I shared the satisfaction of having solved another assignment while enjoying our favorite salad of baby field greens, scallions, and warm pears at Allium's, Ashley's Treat.
We hope you enjoyed this episode of the ArborPod Detective Denjo series. You can earn CEUs for this podcast. Just use the code DD4183 to complete the quiz. And stay tuned for the next ones. This podcast is provided by the International Society of Arbor Culture.